pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the service servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded that in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. 
For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of hope, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Father, we have come To this place this morning, we have gathered that we may grow and then we may go and live out the mission that you have given to us. As we discuss this morning, Lord, we will likely cover and discuss topics that are difficult and cause us to struggle and make us angry or exasperate us and make us think, why do people care about this? Or why don't people care more about this? But I pray, Father, that as we consider the words of your servant, Paul, we would see through issues that divide and that we would see the work of Christ that we would look past issues that distract and that we would see the kingdom of God. I pray that, that we would look beyond individuals that have differing opinions and that we would see the glory of unity and love and care and to see that it exists in truth in the church and it is something that people crave and desire in their innermost being, and that it is one of our most powerful evangelistic tools as we seek to share the message of the good news about Jesus. Father, I pray that you would speak to us from your word and that you would help us, Lord, to know the truth about how we ought to follow you and to know the truth about your plan for our lives. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and kindness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I have have found often uh, things that are good and enjoyable have... uh, I hate to use the word issues, but I can't think of a good synonym. Um, they, they They have issues that surround them that rob joy and distract, right? Like... I decided at, at some point that uh, not understanding football, not getting it, right? I was going to try to dig down to relate to football because that was the language that was spoken by one of my kids, right? Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus here and learn and try to understand, right? But, you know, football being football, right? You bring up football right now, or at least last season, it was what? Everybody was talking about what? Flags and kneeling, and you're like, oh, I don't really want to talk about this. And they're like, Man, you don't care about America, right? Or you don't care about individual rights, you know, and there's this division there, and you're like, man, I just... So you want to watch these guys throw and catch and, and be like, go pack, go, you know, and be excited about what's happening here. But this issue robs joy. I went, like many of you did probably, right? And I went and I, I stood online on Tuesday and I waited, you know, 
and I voted, and I got my little sticker. Don't tell my wife I ate a lollipop, you know, that was there. Um, and it's w wasted, empty, sugary calories, not good. No, it's bad, right? You know? And then I went to a gas station to fill up my car. I drove to vote with my gas light on, and I told Nancy, I'm like, I just, I keep forgetting to, I'm going to run out of gas. We've talked about this issue that I have, right? You know? So I go to the gas station, and I get out, and a guy immediately notices my sticker and says, who'd you vote for? And I'm like, no, no, no. No, you do not ruin my joy in doing what I did by distracting me and trying to turn this into a political issue. I was like, step off. No, I didn't actually say that. I just nodded at him. Yeah. I want to I wanna, I wanna feel like I actually had some kind of real throwdown confrontation with this guy, but I didn't. I was just like, have a great day, man. You know, like, I'm just pumping gas. You know, this isn't, this isn't a, a, a new show. Uh, everything seems to be filled with distractions. Uh, we, have, we, have, we have turned coffee into a divide, right? You know, Dunkin' is clearly superior to Starbucks, and it's always the way it's going to be, you know? Uh, I want to thank you, too, by the way. Let me just say this. Uh, Pastor Appreciation Month was amazing. I loved it. Uh, thank you. You guys were super kind to me. Not one of you bought me a Starbucks card, which I really appreciate. <laughs> I just, I figured, you know, they were going to come. You guys were just going to try to spite me. And um, every, no, you, you guys were, were fantastic. Every, every area of life seems to be full of these dividing issues. And the church is the exact same way, right? People hear the good news about Jesus. They know inside in their soul that they are alienated from God from birth. Right? They know that they have done things which God disapproves of, and they have not lived in a way that God calls them to. And then they hear that God's great love made a way that, that their unrighteous deeds could be canceled out, and their relationship with God could be restored, and they could have peace with him. They can have righteousness that comes from Christ, and purpose in life, and joy and goodness. And they say, yes, I want that. And then they enter the church. They begin to... to to go about life with others, and they find that there are issues and controversies and distractions. In the early church, the issue was one of whether or not you ate meat. Now, there was a discussion of, of whether or not you ate meat that was sacrificed to idols, or whether you ate meat at all, you know, whether you ate meat that was kosher and prepared in a certain way. You know, did you need to keep the law like a Jew in order to be a Christian? There were all these issues that, that were existing in the church, and there were two groups of people. Paul calls them the strong, those who understand that, that, that these things were for a time and had passed away, and those who he calls the weak, who felt like, no, you, we, needed to, we need to live this way. We need to care about this issue. We need to, we need to honor God, because that's what it said in the Old Testament, and, and they, they, they could not bring themselves to live in freedom. And Paul says the issue is not whether or not you choose to eat or not choose to eat. The issue is, are you walking in love? Verse 15 says this, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. That is the, the primary issue. Jesus says in his own uh, last words before he goes to the cross, John 13, 35, he says, what is the evidence by which if you live in this way, 
People will, will look at the church and say, those are the disciples of Jesus. If we want to be known as people who are God's children or Jesus' disciples or people who are true people of faith who follow the Lord, Jesus says they will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I will tell you, the older I get, I believe this more and more and more, that each and every person that is out there is craving belonging and love. And many people will take it from any source because they are so hungry for it. Within the church is a way that people can receive love, abundant, overflowing, and true, and in proper measure, defined correctly. It is not toxic or corrosive when it comes from the Lord. There are many places to find defective, messed up love. But we can find it in the good news about Jesus, and we can find it in the people of God. So Paul is, is speaking here about bearing with brothers and sisters who believe differently than we do. I said last week when we talked about this, the weakness that we're discussing is not a weakness of will or of character, but of faith. The ability or the, the understanding that there are things that we can do in Christ that we can live in a particular way because God has set us free from the conditions that religion imposes on lives, okay? In the Old Testament, they could not eat certain things, they couldn't do certain things, couldn't go certain places. Paul says so much of this is designed to bring us to Christ, and when Christ comes, it fades away, the sacrificial system. So, so what we're talking about is not, we're not saying if somebody's in sin, that we just accept them and say, oh, no, you know, love, we we. we, we wash over this. And it's, it's not that we say to somebody who shows bad character that we say, you know what, it doesn't matter. God calls me to accept you. No, instead, when somebody says, I feel really strongly about this, I feel like, I feel like this is a way to honor God. Why do people do this? Why don't we live this way or that way? You know, why don't people revere God more and behave in, in this way and practice these things? The people who say, you know what, we don't need to do that. We don't need to live that way. That we we accept that person and love them and not say, you're a problem, get out of here, you know? The vision that Paul is laying out here is the person who is weak is not a vulnerable Christian easily overcome by temptation, but someone who is sensitive and wants to honor the Lord, but is full of indecision and anxiety because they they. They don't want to offend God. They don't, they don't want to step over the line. They're not weak in strength or morals, but in their liberty. And this is what Paul says. We who are strong, verse, chapter 15, verse 1, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. That there is a, a responsibility to be strong and to care. The one who is weak in faith, the person who is struggling, we ought to welcome them into our life, into the church, but not with the agenda that we're going to fight with them over their opinions and fix them, right? This is uh, chapter 14, verse 1. We're going to welcome that person, but not to fight over opinions. 
not to quarrel with them, not to argue with them. We accept the one who's weak in faith, who's immature, untaught, or mistaken, and we seek to love them to maturity. Why do we do this? Probably the simplest answer is because Paul tells us to, and it's from the Bible, right? But the good news is that Paul doesn't leave us there, right? He, 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 he coaches us along. There are some big truths in this passage here that we can, we can find that support this idea of why we welcome people. And here they are, right? We're commanded not to sneer or to condemn at the weak person, right? To look at somebody who has, who has opinions and who's got rules and who's got arguments built up for why they live in a, in a particular way and why they do certain things. Paul says, don't sneer at that person, don't condemn them. Why? One, we welcome others because God welcomes the one who is weak in faith. Somebody who comes to Christ and who is afraid of offending God, who, who feels that they need to build all kinds of religious uh, habits and all kinds of uh, follow all kinds of rules in order to keep within the the good grace of God. They 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 say, I just I don't know I don't know how to live in freedom. I'm gonna I'm gonna seek to be as good as as possible, and I'm gonna I'm gonna obey all these rules and and things. It might there might be a temptation to say that person is weak, and so I'm going to sneer at them. I'm going to pity them. And the person who's weak might look at the ones who are strong and say, man, they just they don't get it. They don't revere God. They don't honor him. They, they, just, they live in a way that is, that is wild and that treats God with disrespect. But as believers, we ought to look at one another and say, God accepted us when we were imperfect. God called us to himself when we weren't a prize, right? And he welcomes us and accepts us, and so we ought to accept one another as well. Second, we welcome the one who is weak in faith because Christ died and rose and is Lord. We talked about this last week as well. Who are we to pass judgment on the servant of another? Believers are responsible first and foremost to the Lord, and they seek the Lord's approval. And so if somebody says, I believe that the Lord would have me live in this way, that he would have me, that, that he would have me follow this code or practice things in this way, I am going to, to live that way. We ought to say, good for you. And we ought to bear with them and welcome them. One person believes one thing in this passage. Another person believes something different. Christ died to save them both, rose from the dead, and is both of their Lord. He is the master. He is the boss. And so what, what Paul says in this section here of, of verses 4 through 9 is he says, one person enjoys life and eats meat 
in this section and drinks wine and does so, they live to enjoy and to honor the Lord. The other person abstains and dies to themselves to honor the Lord. And he says, you are both, both basically doing the same thing. It's the same action because we belong to the Lord. We seek to honor him. The, the place of motivation is the same. Third, we're to welcome one another because we are brothers. Look at verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Verse 10 of, of chapter 14. Why do, you, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise him? We have family ties here. We are members of one another. What I, what I find is so interesting about family you know, when I think about the, 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 the nature of the relationship between my wife and I, she's like super good at the detail type stuff when it comes to the cleaning of the house, which she calls cleaning, right? She breaks out the spray, you know, and she's like, she's got the, the wipes and these things and all that stuff. And she's always, she cleans like germs and stuff. She attacks it on the basic level. Right, the floors, all that stuff. I would clean that way, and I will clean the house, right? Which means I will, I will say, hey, this needs to be picked up, that needs to be picked up, that needs to be moved. I declutter and call it cleaning, right? So I'll say, I clean. She's like, you didn't clean, right? <laughs> cleaning is this, you know? But together, the house gets clean. You know what I mean? Both levels of clean. In a family, we all bring and contribute different things. We're not all the same. We think differently, and because we think differently, we have different perspectives on things. There are those who Paul says that we view as weak, and there are others who are seen as strong, and those two people need to live together. Why? Because they're a family, and their togetherness, the brother and sisterhood of the church, demonstrates unity and love to the world. We are better together, and we are better distinct and different together than all together and just one flavor. Does that make sense? We demonstrate to the world that there's true unity in the church when we unite behind our brother and sisterhood in Christ. And not just the fact that we all think and believe the exact same thing about every single issue. Welcome him because he is your brother. Fourth, welcome him because we will all stand before God's judgment in verse uh, 10, Paul then moves on. He says, We will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue will confess to God. Je uh, Paul is definitely picking up on Jesus' statement here that we ought not to judge one another. Now, he's not saying that there shouldn't be any criticism ever, that we should never go to someone and say, Hey, you know what? This habit might be bad. This practice might be hurting you. The way that you're thinking about this issue might be wrong. Instead, what Jesus and Paul are disallowing here, what they're correcting, is that, that, that believers would say, oh, you use that Bible version? Oh, you listened to that preacher? Oh, you read that book and you liked it? You're wrong. You're bad. You're junk. You're trash. You're not saved. Right? 
Because that's what, that's what happens, and that's what people feel and absorb many times. God is the judge, and we are not. We will all stand one day before the judgment of God, and we will have to give an account for the way that we lived our life, not the way that we judged and attempted to fix the lives of others. It is good to turn an erring brother or sister away if they are trapped in sin or if they are are caught up in something or they need to grow, but giving, I should say, passing judgment on others because of things that the scripture is not clear on is a way of throwing obstacles in each other's way. The advice, the encouragement here is not to put stumbling blocks in each other's paths, but instead to help one another. Imagine you see a poor, struggling, hurting person seeking to to cross the road, right? What 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 do you do? Do you put obstacles in their path? Do you you attempt to hinder them or harm them? Distract them? Make them them feel bad about who they are and what they're they're battling with? Or do you come alongside them and and help them along? This is what Paul is, is saying, is that when we look at each other and we see each other's defects and we see each other's struggles and the way that we do not measure up, what we ought to do is say, it is my responsibility in Christ to help that person, not to assess their health and then say, okay, obviously a failure, not going to make it, not worth my time, not worth my energy. As Paul continues on in chapter 14, he says, don't offend or destroy the weaker person. Don't pass judgment, verse 13, on one another any longer, but instead decide never to put a stumbling block in the way of a brother. What he says here is that we're to welcome one another and to draw one another in and to support one another because, as he goes on, he says that this person is our brother for whom Christ died. He connects the acceptance and love that we have for one another to the cross of Christ. Now, as Pastor John Stott says, he says that a good doctrine of creation clears up all the struggles in this passage. Okay, Verse 14. Of, of, of chapter 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Okay? So here's, here's, here's the issue that they're struggling with. This, this issue of, do I eat meat sacrificed to idols? Okay? This is the controversy that they were struggling with. It's not really unclean, is what Paul is saying. It's just meat. He'll say in 1 Corinthians that those idols that people are worshiping, they're not real. There are no fake gods. There's there's nothing out there. There's only God, right? Everything else is just demons and deception. But for the person who who looks at that meat sacrifice to an idol and says, I cannot do that. That would be an offense to God. That would would be uh, a dishonoring to him. He says, to that person, it is unclean. And so what we need to do as believers is to understand, okay, this person thinks that this is offensive to God and will, it will distract them. What we need to do is to say, I love you 
and I accept you and I understand that Christ died for you and so I will die somewhat for you. I will give up some freedoms. I will embrace you and I will accommodate to your weakness to demonstrate my love for you. And he says here in verse 15, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you no longer are walking in love. There are no evil foods out there, okay? Cold broccoli may be distasteful to you, right? You know, I am not a big fan of certain kinds of foods. People knock on the foods that I like. I love French fries, right? And a couple of years ago, it was all this like supersize me stuff and McDonald's is evil. And I'm like, fries are good. They're good. Paul says this right here, right? That nothing is unclean in and of itself. That is, it is good. God created potatoes and put them in the ground. Right? But if someone is persuaded that something is evil and wrong and it distracts from the, the truth, what we do is by our freedom, whether it is, uh, it is, it is um, in, in contemporary society, you know, uh, churches struggle with uh, the issue of whether or not believers should drink alcohol. Some people are like, man, you know, like it is nothing but bad all the time. It's all evil. This passage, this is what Paul says, and I think this is the biblical position, it is morally neutral. C.S. Lewis said, you know, that God creates enormous amounts of alcohol every single year through the process known as fermentation. It just happens. But what Paul says here is that if we flaunt our freedom to somebody who struggles we destroy them, we tear them down. By what you eat, he says, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Our focus ought not to be on ourselves and self-seeking and self-enabling, but instead what it ought to be on is building up. Notice what he says here in verse 16. There's two ways to take this verse. He says, he says, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Now, we may take it this way. I believe that, that this thing or this habit or this behavior or, or this area of my life, I think this is good. And if you talk evil about it, I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to fight with you. Right? Don't you dare tell me that I can't do this. I'm a Christian. I'm free in Christ. You know, I can listen to what I want. I can go where I want. I can do what I want. I can eat what I want. Right? That's one. Don't let them talk about it as an evil. It's one way to look at it. The other way is to look at it like this. If I flaunt my freedom, someone will say, look at that person and look at what they do. That is clearly wrong. That's wrong. Paul says don't live in such a way, don't flaunt your freedom in such a way that, that people will look at something that's good and say that it is evil. It's a different way of looking at it. He is saying don't live in such a way that you are focused on yourself and you are dragging others down being a distraction to them. Jesus, he says, died for the life of these people. He died that they would know him and understand who he is. Should we tear that down? 
The answer is no. We ought to welcome our brother and live in a way that demonstrates the sacrificial nature of Christ. He moves on to say that we ought to welcome this person because the kingdom is more important than food. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here, I think, is a, is a major problem and a major struggle for the contemporary church. When we look at out in society, we focus on a singular issue, right? When we say, man, you know, the, the legalization of marijuana or the culture that embraces homosexuality or, you know, these uh, uh, issues related to whether it's liberalism or conservatism or whatever, these are the things that the church needs to focus on and fight, right? What we do is we, we turn them into the, the smoking and drinking and tobacco chewing and pant wearing of yesterday, right? This is the things that the church used to f- focus on and fight about. When we say somebody should fix this individual sin, you know what we do? We put an obstacle in their way and we prevent them from dealing with the main issue. People don't go to hell, folks. They don't spend eternity separated from God because of one sin. They spend eternity separated from God because they don't have the righteousness of Christ in them. They spend eternity separated from God because they have not repented of the fact that they, that they shake their fist in the face of the Creator. They spend eternity separated from God because they don't say, I have gone astray from minute one and I need my sins to be canceled out. I believe it's Crawford Luritz, who is an evangelist. He said to his church years ago, no one goes to hell because they are homosexual. They go to hell because they're a sinner. Folks, that's all of us, right? What we need to do is we need to understand that we can go to somebody and we could say, hey, you ought never drink again. You know what? That doesn't save them. You ought never eat this kind of food. You ought never vote for this kind of person. You ought not smoke this, right? Do this, do that. Those things do not save They rearrange the exterior and the behavior. They don't sink down to the soul. What we're after is transformation. And so what Paul says here is when there are these issues within the church, what we ought to do is focus on the cross. We ought to focus on the kingdom. We ought to focus on the mission. I believe that one of the major distractions within the local church today is a sense of entitlement that says, I should get what I want from my local church. I should get what I want from my church service. I should get what I want from my worship service. I want traditional music and not contemporary music. I want contemporary music and not traditional music. I want sermons that are topical or inspiring or this and not, not that. I want my, my, my church to offer this or not that. And here's, here's what happens when we, when we take all of these things that are not essential and we make them requirements and checkoffs for our church being successful or, or a failure, here's, here's what we miss. We miss the fact that people need to hear the gospel. They need to hear that Jesus is life and that submitting to him and abiding in him and depending on him is the main thing. 
And then the believers in the church need to be trained and taught that love and unity is paramount to accomplishing the mission. Here, here's the issue. I've said a bunch of stuff about a bunch of issues. You're probably all like, whoa, you know, like, wait, so how are we supposed to think about any of this? We ought to have deep and strong opinions about things. I'm going to say something I, I wrote in my notes that I was going to say, and then I, I, I actually wrote, don't talk about this. Uh, I have an opinion on using certain kinds of language. I grew up in a home where nobody ever cursed. I get it. You know, people grow up in homes where there's cursing all the time. I grew up in a church where there were some church leaders who, you know, they didn't curse, but they used words like, See, I'm in, we're in danger territory right here. You're going you're gonna to say to me, so wait, what am I supposed to do? This is not the point, okay? I saw a church leader pull a pen out of his pocket. His pen had leaked ink, and he said, phooey. Okay? Not a curse, right? But I thought, like, I think that's just a substitute curse word. Right? Just the, the, the action and the reaction. And I committed in my own mind, I, I said, and out of honor for the Lord, I am not going to do this. I'm going to try and do what I can to remove all of these words. I say this, and you know what happens? People say their, their words, and then they apologize to me. I'm sorry. You know, I know, that's, you know, I know I shouldn't say these things. You know what? That is not in the Bible, folks. It's not. It's my interpretation. It's my sense. It's what I've built up over the years of how I think the Lord would have me use my mouth. And it ought never be an issue here. You know, are we never swear at all type people? Like we don't use these little odes or pronunciations. We don't, we don't say anything, you know, and then we're on Pastor Keith's side. Please don't ever do that. It's my personal conviction. But if we make it the rule we build a wall around the gospel for people. And normal people who struggle with real problems can't get close enough to the truth to actually hear it because they're being regulated and manipulated. People who commit real sins need to hear the gospel, and we need to be the kind of people who say, you know what, we will preach the gospel to you. We will share with you. We will give up some of our freedoms. We will give up some of our, our demands so that you can relate to us and access who we are. Here's what Paul is, is saying here. He's saying that, that drawing firm lines about these religious traditions about eating and drinking causes a division that distracts people from what is really important, the cross. The kingdom of, of God. The kingdom of God is not what we eat or drink, he says. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. And he doesn't just mean character qualities. He's talking about justification. He's talking about peace with God. He's talking about rejoicing in hope of God's glory. And so we let certain freedoms go away in the service of the kingdom. Paul says, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Let me tell you what I'm talking about and what I'm not talking about. The weak are not people. 
I feel like there's no way to escape without making some people angry and having to have a bunch of conversations, okay? So I'm just going to go for it. We're not talking about somebody who's been a Christian for 20 years and who doesn't like the fact that other people drink alcohol. That's not weak, right? That, that's not weak. We're talking about making sacrifices, perhaps, where we say we're not going to flaunt our freedom in Christ, so that as people who come into our church who struggle deeply with addictions or struggles, we say, no, we're going to make accommodations and sacrifices for you so that you can hear the gospel. We're not going to flaunt freedom in your face and say, you know, this is, this is, this is what is available. You know, you, if you were more mature, you would be able to handle yourself. A new believer might come to Christ and say, I repent of this, this lifestyle and the way that I've lived. And what they are seeking and looking for is an environment of safety where they can be encouraged and they can grow. Many times what we do is we design our perfect world and then we try to impose it on everyone around us. We want everybody to live according to our rules and our systems. And what we, what we do is we lose the mission, and what we're trying to do is regulate the environment. Paul says, give up self-seeking. Give up self-focus and focus on loving those who need to be welcomed and drawn in. Verse 19, make every effort to do what builds others up. Verse 20, do not tear down, do not destroy. Verse 21, don't do anything that would cause your brother to fall. Blessed is the one, he says in verse 22, who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. We ought to be able to look out at the way that we live and say, no one is going to stumble or struggle because of the way that I choose to live, the choices that I make. I'm going to live in such a way that other people are going to say, okay, that's what's important. That's what the focus is. The focus is on believing in Christ and depending on him and not on completely and totally regulating every aspect of other people's behavior. Chapter 15, Paul says, don't live to please yourself. We who are strong and have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. What he's not saying here is live in such a way that everybody in the church who's been walking with Christ for 25 or 30 years isn't, isn't looking at you and saying, hey, you know, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying live in such a way that the people who are around you who, who need help, who need the gospel, say those are good people and I can trust them and I can go to them and I can say this is what I need and then we share the gospel with them. This is the way that Jesus lived. What Paul points out here is that Christ did not please himself. In verse 3 and 4, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He took insults and he absorbed pain and suffering that was not for him in order to bring salvation to the world. And so we ought to give up some of our freedoms as well. We also ought to live in a way to please others, looking at the example of Christ, because Christ brings united 
worship. Look at what, what Paul says here in chapter 15, verse 5. He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is, what is Paul talking about here? He's saying that a church can look out at one another and they can say, you know what, on these, on these external issues, these things that Christians don't all agree about, you know, that they don't all have complete and total harmony about, we can live together because the focus is loving one another, exalting Christ, and the mission is paramount. And so we sing together, we rejoice together, we hear the word together, we live in a way that is holy towards God, even though we don't always perfectly agree about what that looks like, but we are unified. And when people say what is important here, we tell them the fact that man is sinful is important. The fact that man needs God is important. The fact that Christ bears our sin, that he is our righteousness, that he will accept us and adopt us, and that we can trust his word. Those are the things that are of paramount importance. And yeah, we don't agree about everything. We agree about those things, and that enables us to live out and to fulfill our mission. Why ought we accept people who believe and practice things that are different from us, believers who are different from us? Because Christ accepted us, and we are not yet perfect. Look at what verse 7 says. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. We're told to accept one another, We're told to accept the one who is weak. Why? Because that is the way that Christ treated us. He is perfect, and he welcomed us. Uh, There's another, I'm referring to C.S. Lewis quite a bit this morning, I think. Uh, He wrote an an article that was published in in a journal somewhere that was called The Problem with X, right? And in this, uh, and in this article, he said, you know, we always think, some people in, in conversation will say, hey, you know what the problem with that person is? Do you, know you know what Keith's problem is? He says, and, 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 and people act like if that person would fix that problem, everything would be right with them, right? The problem with so-and-so, he says, there's actually one person in the universe who can say that about everyone around him and who has no problem in himself, and that's God. You know what the problem with everyone else is, God says? They're not perfect like me, right? That's their problem. What does he do? accepts us anyway, gives us his righteousness. We may look out at people in the church and say, you know what, I don't like the way that they say that or do this or do that. The problem with them is, you know what God does? God accepts people like that and he loves them anyway and he gives them righteousness. And so we are to accept one another to the praise and the glory of God. And so Paul finishes by saying, be a servant to others, serve one another in love. Now let me just, let me clarify. If we see somebody caught in a behavior that's immoral or doing something that is, that is clearly wrong as detailed by the scriptures, we go to them in love and we say, hey, I'm concerned for you. I care about you. I think you ought to look out for that. We ought to do that. That's loving. What we ought not to do is to say, I don't really know that person so well, so I'm just going to detach never say anything. That's not loving. That's apathetic. 
But instead, we become a servant to one another for our good, and we become servants to our common unity for the sake of the mission. Now, just stick with me here, because I'm going I'm I'm to land the plane. It's going to land really fast, all right? This is what, what Paul says here. He says, Christ became a servant to the Jews to show God's truthfulness, okay? Christ comes and lives this perfect life. He fulfills all this biblical prophecy to validate all of this Bible, right? That God always keeps his word and does everything that he says. Jesus coming as Messiah to the, to the Jews demonstrates that everything God said is true, okay? So he comes as a servant to, the, to God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, Genesis 12, 12, 1 through 3. Um, and he comes in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. That's King David saying, I'm going to praise God among a bunch of people who don't even know God. And then verse 10, second example. Again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Hey, you people who don't know God, come worship him too. That's the second bit of evidence. And then third, you get the idea that Paul's trying to make a point here. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. This God who exists is for everyone to worship. This is something that has access, and or there, there, is, there is access for all people to this good news. And again, Isaiah, fourth piece of evidence, says the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. What is Paul saying here? He is saying that the church has a mission and that is to reach people with the good news. And we can make choices. And there are two. We can either be about our mission and be unified around our mission, which is sharing the gospel with people. We can say, that is what we want to do. I got a text message from a brother in our church yesterday who said, why don't we try to invite everybody in our neighborhood to church for Christmas? Cool, let's do that, right? That's our mission. Right? It's Christmas time. We're going to be like, hey, it's Christmas. You should go to church. And then they're going to come and we're going to share the gospel with them when they come here. Right? We're going to say, and you should come back next week. Right? This is the good news. Or we could say there are more important things to fight about in the church, like proper worship music. Right? Or we could, we could uh, argue about this or that. You know, we have to fix this problem or that problem. No. What, and I'm, by the way, we don't have those divisions and struggles here. We don't have that. We don't have that argument. But when we focus on ourselves, we get, we get off track. What we need to do is to get behind the mission and to be unified for the mission. Paul says here, the mission is to bring about praise among the Gentiles, to bring people to worship God. And so as he closes this section in prayer, he says this, accept one another and love one another despite divisions and despite your, your distinctions and your differing opinions, love one another because that is the fulfillment of the way that God treats us. And as you lay aside your freedoms, as you embrace the mission, he prays, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. We ask the question, will it be worth it to lay aside our personal freedoms at times for the sake of unity in the body? If 
Unity leads to mission. If it leads to people coming to Christ, if it leads to new people discovering who God is and putting their faith and trust and and finding a family that loves one another, even though we don't all think the same way, that's worth it, isn't it, folks? Isn't that worth it? Isn't that worth making some sacrifices? Isn't that, isn't that worth saying, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come alongside and love this brother who maybe I don't see eye to eye with, or maybe I don't really even like what I see. We're going to labor together in a common cause to see God exalted. Paul's telling the Roman church, look, you've got these things that are splitting you. You know, you just, these potential distractions and difficulties, lay that aside. Focus on the mission that God's given you. Focus on the example of Christ, his sacrificial nature, and go and live out building his kingdom together. This is my encouragement to you as my brothers and sisters in Christ. There are always going to be things we don't agree on. Always. What we can agree on is that we are better together. We can agree that Christ is life. We can agree that that we are sinful in and of ourselves and that we need God's righteousness. We can agree that salvation only comes through Christ. We can agree that truth comes from here, this book. We may disagree on certain aspects of it. But if we show love to one another and we show care, people who are desperately seeking it will come and they will see that This is a church that's full of disciples. That's what they'll see. I'm not saying we throw aside our our convictions about what is and is not sin. And I am not saying that we ought to turn a blind eye to sinful behavior. What I am saying is that when people disagree about things that scripture is not clear on, when people say, this is my conviction and this is my practice, what we ought to say is, that's you and that's cool. And I'm glad you're part of my family. Let's reach people for Christ. Because that's what God would have us do. Let's pray. Maybe you're angry with me about something. Uh, maybe, maybe you think, hey, what in the world? Maybe you think, uh, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to believe about this or that. Let's talk about that. But let's make sure that the message of Romans 14 and 15 is clear as Paul has stated it. There will always be divisions within the church. There will always be things that people don't see eye to eye on. We ought to love past those differences for the sake of the mission. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here and to hear your word. I pray that you would help us to say, Lord, we want to serve you in holiness and truth. We want to live out what we see in scripture in a way that honors you and exalts you. But we do not want to live lives, Lord, that are so private and self-focused that we lose the fact that we are supposed to be connected to brothers and sisters. Father, may we remember that in a family, there are always people who believe and think differently about things. Politics. We think differently about how to spend and use money. We think differently about dietary choices and we think different about you know, all kinds of things. Lord, we ask 
that by your grace and for your glory that we would be a church that sees beyond our distinctions and our differences and sees the mission. We see our Lord and Savior. We see the need of the nearly one million people who live on the Eastern Shore and we say we are going to unite in love and accept one another and embrace one another that others might come to worship you and that people might see a church full of people who love and care for one another. Lord, we thank you for your grace and for your kindness toward us. We thank you that you accepted us and served us when we were neither acceptable nor worthy of service. You love us and you care for us and we pray that we would do the same for each other. Lord, we thank you. We lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together. Mm -hmm.